Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 97 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, all you need to do is sign up for your account by clicking on one of the adverts or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join Facebook group Facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for a future show to Alex, then the best way is to email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, you are back from Las Vegas, main event, and I'm sure a lot of people that follow you on Twitter and Facebook, etc., uh, were watching your updates, you know, with interest this year. So why don't we just, let's do our annual I Got Back From Vegas trip. All right, man. You see, before we start, it does, it seems like you had a lot of fun this time, anyway. Oh, man, I had a blast. Life is good, you know what I mean? I'm not, uh, we're all going to talk about my uh, eventually I'm going to, I know I've been kind of in a weird way doing that emo kid thing. Like I'm going through some problems, man, but, uh, I'll let y'all know what's been going on here in like a couple weeks or a couple months, but it was, I realized like what an ungrateful SOB I've been when I went to Vegas because, you know, I kind of like, nothing's really bad going on, just some real life stuff. And, but like going to Vegas, it, it just gave me, you know, like getting to see my friends and getting to like hang out and like do stuff you wouldn't normally get to do. Like, uh, Carlos and I went and saw Ron White and that, that was just a funny thing. Like, do you know who Ron White is, Barry? No. He's kind of like a hick, uh, comedian, right? But not like Larry the Cable Guy. He's just, he's kind of, he's got like a deep baritone. He's just, he's just kind of a pissed off dude and he's always drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar and he's just pissed off about everything and it was one of those things like i've never been to that show and it was kind of a weird show and like uh carlos didn't actually want to go he said like i'm cool on that right which means like if that means i don't want to go right i heard i'm cool with that so i bought the tickets and he was like you know okay well i would never go to this normally but all right let's go man and it was just vegas is cool because you get to experience all these things you wouldn't normally get to experience you know what i mean it's like it, it was real chill, like, you know, there's all the shows, and there. I went and spent three days at, uh, what was it, Summer League, NBA Summer League, that was pretty interesting, because you could see, I, for some reason, I kept seeing the number one draft pick this year, and it was, uh, it was pretty bizarre, it was, uh, his name's Ben Simmons, and he's, uh, he's this big guy who just controls the entire court, can make a shot for anyone, but when he shoots himself, he could not hit the broadside of a barn, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. And yeah, it was a real good time. You know, I got to see a metal show. Uh, I, I, went, I just randomly, somebody told me there was a death metal show in old Las Vegas. And I was like, I'm down, right? And uh, I had never heard of the bands, but at the end of the concert, I was like a huge fan of every band. They were super precise and just crushing. Everybody was really cool. There were some old roadies at the, at the event, and they were like, they saw me like taking shows at the event and they were like, you want a picture of yourself? I was like, Oh, that's really nice. You know, it kind of occurred to me. Nobody ever, you know, like you see a dude like rolling solo and then taking pictures of an event. Like that is a nice thing to ask somebody. I've never really done that. And then, yeah, it was a good time. And I cashed the main event and made some money. So that was pretty cool. You know, six K six K for, uh, what was it? Three days plus, about 14 minutes work on day four so you know it was good yeah it was a it was a blast I kind of I kind of was I was sad to leave but at the same time I was happy I could like here I can run like eight ten miles like through Costa Rica but there, like running in the desert is just impossible because it's just like you know you, it's like all right it's seven in the morning it's only 2,000 degrees, I'm going to go out there and try to do it, and then, you know, you, you jog, like, down the street, and you, like, give up, but, 
Yeah. No, I mean, it was cool. It was a good time. You know, it was cool to finally cash the main event. Uh, I kind of ran into a wall at one point. Just I could not win a hand on day three after, like, the first couple of hours. <laughs> it was just, oh, there goes 30,000 chips. Oh, there goes 50,000 chips. Oh, there goes 25,000 chips. And, uh, but something I did I've never done before is I recorded every single hand in my uh, cell phone on, a, on an Evernote file. And that was incredible because I think I'm going to be doing a – actually, I don't think. I know I'm going to be doing this. I've been toying with the idea of doing, like, classes, right, like an actual, like, course. And I was thinking – because the big problem with my webinars is I always have a ton of material I want to present. I always have to pick and choose. And I, I, I do do a good job of getting the best stuff. But at the same time, I feel like, God, this, this stuff's really valuable, too. And I, I, it really helped me coming up. And I don't really want to uh, – I, I don't really want to make, like, a whole other webinar with this stuff that's not quite as good, right, because I have a certain quality standard. So what I was thinking is we could do, like, an actual course where for eight weeks we all meet on, say, Saturday for two hours – you know, and I feel like two hours is a good time. Everybody's kind of trained to watch something for two hours because of movies. And what we do is first 30, 45 minutes, we go over conceptual ideas. And then the next like hour and 15 minutes, you play a live tournament with me. And I will give you, there's something like uh, 500 hands that I recorded. Obviously, you're not going to play every single one. But like, it'll be just like test your poker where you're going to be with me in the main event. And I'm going to put you in the exact same situations I was in. And I'm going to give you multiple choice uh, questions and say, what should you do and why? And I think this will be pretty interesting because I was super proud of my cash this year because I felt I didn't really feel like I did get aces to ace king once. And that was good for like, I think it was like 50,000 ships, right? Which is a starting stack, which is not really that big of a deal on day three, but it was certainly nice, right? Or, excuse me, it was 100,000, so it was two starting sacks. It certainly was helpful, but it wasn't, like, a huge deal. The rest of it was just, like, rummaging and staying out of high-variant spots and picking up pots and stuff like that. And I did make some discoveries, and not all of these hands I played well, so it'll be interesting. It'll be, like, multiple choice, what do you think you should do? And then I'll say, this is what I did. This is what you should have done, right? Which I figured out later when I came home and ran through it. And, yeah, I was thinking, like, you know, we could do eight weeks of that, and it'll just be on live poker, right? And there's all these concepts for live poker I've been scribbling around here, and I've never really seen them in print. And we were going to do that in Dominate Live Poker, but I just kept coming up with new material. And uh, everybody said they wanted to put a bullet in my head after the last five-hour webinar. So I, I was like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, so we postponed it. And, yeah, I think what we're going to do is, like, an eight-week course, and you're going to get to play the main event uh, for, let's say it'll be, like, $800 uh, to go to this eight-week course, and that's $50 an hour as opposed to, like, $210 an hour, what most people pay to work with me. And, uh, it, you, and it's all, like, you know, it's ready. You get to play the main event without having to pay $10,000. It will literally be every – and I have pictures of all the players – uh, which I'm going to, I don't think legally I can use, but I think I can get an artist's rendering, <laughs> you know, and then uh, it, it'll be like the courtroom for the OJ case, right? And then, uh, you know, this dude opens for this much. And it's just, it was a really fun tournament looking through that lens of uh, those lenses of, you know, wow, what if I was, somebody was like letting me play the main event, like through my eyes, right? Like, let's let's say I was letting somebody look behind my shoulder, right? Which is what I was trying to create and giving them an idea of like, okay, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in that situation? And I, that made it really fun to me because it was like seeing the tournament from a whole new perspective. And it made me really want to, because the other thing I was doing is it was like collecting folds, right? When I did mm -hmm. like what I thought was a really sick fold, it didn't feel like nothing because I got to write the notes down. And then I, it's going to be a multiple choice question, right? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are not going to pick fold and I'm going to be able to explain. And the really cool thing with this is I didn't realize how much I fold in tournaments. You know, people always do the, oh, Assassin, I was nuts, right? And stuff like that. 
I'm a lot tighter than a lot of people realize, and I think a lot of people are going to see how tight you have to be in order to play these poker tournaments. So, yeah, you cleaning out your car there? No, no, I don't know what went on there. I mean, uh, the window's open today, so there's uh, maybe something going on. It's really, really hot here. Let me see. Let me take my headphones off. All right, it's all good. It's all good. Nah, there's a bus going past. Ah, that's it. All right, it's all good. Yeah, I just wanted to give you a hard time. People always say we're the worst podcast ever, so we can't disappoint them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're the best, worst podcast. Carlos Welch pointed out to me that I make the same jokes a thousand times on the podcast, and it had never occurred to me that they were jokes, right? Like, and uh, like w- when you get your buy-in back, you get a slap on the ass, and that's all they give you. Like, that's just how I've always thought of it, right? I never thought of it as a joke. I didn't realize how grating that would be if you've heard that 28 times on the podcast, right? So I will, I will be making new metaphors this time, guys. I will be trying to challenge myself this time to do a little improv. So we'll see how this one goes. Yeah. Um, so the, the main event, then, when you're playing that, I mean, is that the first time you cashed the main event? That was the first time I cashed in the main event. So let's see. I, 2009, 2010, 11, 12, 13. Yep, that was the first time in eight tries, so I'm still negative 64,000 in that tournament. <laughs> okay, so I, I don't need to say be honest, because you always are with, with me and your listeners anyway. So, But when you were playing that, I mean, was there a point where you thought, yeah, I've got like chips in this, I can maybe, maybe I'm not saying you played enough tournaments to think like, oh, this is my year or whatever, but... Was there points where you thought, here, I've got a chance here to maybe, like, do something and go really deep in this tournament or, you know, how your table was playing or anything right. like that? Uh, um, the, the first words that came to my head were absolutely not, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, I, I, don't, I think that's a little dishonest. There was, at one point, I, did, I was really healthy. Like, I, I didn't have a ton of chips, but I, I had a lot of maneuverability. And uh, essentially, I just couldn't lose two big pots in a row. And then I'd be a little more on life support. And I lost two big pots in a row. Not not really, I, I didn't really feel like I played them bad. It, it just, there was no spot where I said that was a bad play. Uh, yeah. it, there, there were a few times where ah, I wish I had it back. I would have taken another option. This is something a lot of poker players don't realize. I'm... Uh, going through the myth of poker talent one last time right now before it gets released it's been delayed a couple times because it was such a complex book it had to go through so so many proofreaders right and then you know they fix up things and it comes back to me and i go i don't like the language of that da, 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 da. but there's a lot of times like i go through all the options in a hand and every single one of them is profitable right but one of them is really barely profitable and the other is just making money hand over fist but people say, you know, oh, I was profitable in this tournament. That doesn't really mean anything to me, you know? And there was a few times I picked what I thought was a very subpar play. And, like, if there were a few times I was like, I don't even know if that was profitable. I think that was – you can play anti-poker, you know what I mean? You can play – like, I know with uh, football, soccer, you can play, like, anti-soccer. I was watching in uh, – what was it, the Euro Cup or whatever the hell that – like. Iceland kind of played some anti-football at one point, right, against, like, Portugal. And it was just, essentially, you just shut down the game and you hope for penalty kicks or whatever, right? And uh, Costa Rica did that perfectly in uh, the World Cup a few years ago. And they did, uh, you know, they got through a division which was, like, Uruguay, England, and Italy, which, you know, nobody thought they would have done, right? Because they just shut down the entire game and they got a blooper in and they won, right? There's a lot of plays people don't realize in poker are essentially anti-poker. It just, it forfeits both you and your opponent's profit, right? It's super high variance and nobody makes money from it. And it's used to deter your opponent's uh, willingness to like three bet you or something like that. I think those plays are really tired these days. And I use a few of them just by habit. And I really realized it was an ego thing after I was going through the notes because there was no way I was making that much. Even some of these hands I won, right? But I, I, I kind of went like, I have no business winning this pot. I shouldn't have been in this pot, right? And uh, 
it, 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 there, there was a few like that, and uh, yeah, I kind of there was a there was a time I thought I could make a deep run in this, but you know the way poker tournaments are, if you start, I'm reviewing a kid's hand history for CardRunners.com right now, and uh, this kid like when he he does exactly what I did for years, which was he wins a huge pot and he just decides that he's a gangster now, right? And then under the gun with five eight suited, he's raising, right? And uh, really, I, if you look at a guy like Ape Siles, who's been consistent for 11 years in No Limit Hold'em online tournaments, he has specific hands he plays from specific uh, positions. And when he opens up his range, it's only like maybe 10 different hands he adds in, right? And he also subtracts from his ranges quite a bit. Now, it's really easy to subtract from your ranges when you're 12 tabling. It's not really easy on, you know, hour nine of day three and you're exhausted and you look down at ace-jack, which is the best hand you've seen in three hours, and uh, you got to fold because the guys you left in, there was no time I felt like my table was that bad. Like, my beginning table on day three was pretty good. Uh, people were having a good time and throwing chips around. My day one table was amazing. Uh, so I promptly lost half my chips and, uh, it, it just, every bluff I did was just incredibly, <laughs> uh, it just never worked. It was like, oh, top set, nice hand. You know, like I, <laughs> I like fire the river, the guy time banks for three minutes and then I have second pair top kicker they call and I table it like it's the nuts and they show me like top set. And I'm like, that hand is good. <laughs> you can't get mad because they could have put you in a tough spot, you know? Everybody just flats with everything, dude. Uh, no, there was one point. Uh, uh, I, I better holds was at my table, and I took most of his chips on what was a pretty lucky hand. But at the same time, I think per, perhaps I, I think I probably gave myself a really good chance to double up, right? Uh, but, and there was, you know, there was a little boost of confidence. Like, I just took down Federer, ah, right? But, like, you know, if that feeling doesn't dissipate in 20 seconds, you're, you're on winner's tilt, and that's not really good, you know? And then when you're losing, you can't, you kind of have to come back in and be like, you know, this is the situation. I always try to look at everybody on the rail, and I try to think of everybody who busted, and I always ask myself, how much money would they pay for this stack right now? And the answers sometimes are like $26,000. And it, once you realize your stack is worth like $26,000, you're like, eh, you know, I'll suck it up. You know, I'll figure it out, right? And then uh, it's also easier for me because I'm making money off the back end with the webinars and stuff like that. So it's, it, it, if I can just get deep and provide good content for you guys, it, I can pay my bills and have a good time. So, you know, it, it was a good it – was a, it was a blast, man. It was really cool. I don't, I don't think I ever got that – huge boost of confidence if anything that was one of those tournaments i was just hanging around i was a professional hang around guy just you know nobody some guy even said like they can never take your chips they're just you know and then, and then i said like yeah and i can never get any but thank you like it, it was just one of those things it is a skill just to hang around in tournaments and that's not something i was necessarily gifted with i really had to work hard at that but I really, I really feel like I've learned how to become a solid player. Back in the day, I was more of, uh, I think when I got a lot of my uh, people noticing me, it was because I was a very exciting player. And then that didn't necessarily mean like a good player. It just meant I was exciting to watch, right? And once in a while, I, if I hit a couple of cards, I could win a tournament, right? And uh, I, I really think that style can get you just eaten alive these days because people are so much more educated and it took a few years to figure out how to play, like, really solid poker. And I had to study more than I've ever studied in my life for anything, you know. I mean, I didn't go to college, so I don't know what that's like, right? But this was – I cannot imagine people – I had to have studied three times as much as anyone who took the bar exam. And I'm not joking when I say that. Like, I'm not – that's not hyperbole. I know people who graduated from law school. And when I hear their hours, I'm like, <laughs> like, whatever, like, you did that for four years, I did that for seven. Like, enjoy, buddy. 
Like, and then, uh, it, uh, anyway. All right, all right. I'm getting indignant and self-righteous. So, so, so tell me, so I take it you swap a little bit of percentage with each other with Johnny Baxter, yeah? Ah, yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> who made the final table? I don't even know. Jo- Johnny Baxter's final oh, table. Oh, that's cool. Anyone else yeah, I know? I think, uh, oh, what was the other well-known? Like, I'm a little bit out of it for the names, but there was another one I recognized. I can't remember what it was. If you recognized uh, it, the guy must be old as hell. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let me just do a quick search. WSP main event 20. This is good pod. This is good podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's as it happens. It proves that it's... Here we go. Um, oh, God, it would be on site. Lots of ads. Right? Even on your phone. It's so intrusive. Oh, God. Read me the list of names, and I'll tell you what I know of each guy. Okay, we got, obviously, Johnny Bats. We've got... That's a very Bush, solid Bush player. Tech. Ruzika, Republic, Vortex, Rosita. I don't know anything about him. Griffin Banger, Griffin Banger. Oh, Flush Entity. Uh, he's pretty good at poker. He's, uh, he's one of the best Fer- of the new school. Fernando Pons. Don't know him. He uh, win or Kwai win. Okay. And by the way, there's a good chance some of these guys are, like, really big players, and I just don't know, because I honestly don't follow poker. And, uh, okay, so next. Michael, Michael Rune, uh, R-U-A-N-E. Michael oh, Rune. Rune. Oh, wow. He's, uh, uh, yeah, he's, a he, he's from a family of, like, really good grinders. Holy moly, that's huge. That's, uh. I've known those guys for, like, literally 10 years. That's bizarre. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cool. Like, literally, I used to play, like, in a basement in New Jersey with these guys next to stockpiles of toilet paper. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, that's so bizarre. I've known the, oh, my God, that's crazy. Okay, that's cool. Very, very good player. Very, very, uh, uh, definitely from the new school. He's got some chops that... You, you know, they're not something that would be intuitive the first time you saw it. Okay, so moving forward. Okay, and then we've got Garden Vale, Garden Vale. Oh, my God, great player as well. Oh, wow, that's uh, a, a fantastic player. And uh, been around forever, too. Continuing. Kenny Hallert, Belgium. I, okay, now. Okay, moving on. And then Jerry Wong, USA. Nope, don't know. And so I know all the old white guys. So uh, anyway, Johnny Bats is chip leader, seventy-four million. No kidding! Wow. No, he's a uh, Johnny Bats is one of my. Um, him and I have never really spoken in person. I, I get the idea; he's not a big fan of mine. <laughs> uh, the few interactions we've had, but that 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 could just be I caught him on a bad day too. You know, so. It's pretty narcissistic to think everything's about me, but maybe I did that when I was younger, you know. But uh, he's a, I, I think he's a really solid player. He's, he's, like, when we're talking about, like, guys that are just hard to crack, he's one of the, like, toughest-minded in my mind. Uh, Gordon is uh, a, a very, uh, I, 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 I think, like, a very open-minded player. He was playing his style back, I remember watching him in 2007, and he had a style that would become very popular, but at the time was... Back then, everybody was raising or folding all the time. And in cash, he would just call down... He would set people up in these goofy lines and just, like, collect their bets. And he would take... He had this image where he was kind of crazy, but I kind of... I didn't really believe it, because if he took a goofy line ever, he just got called wherever he played, like on Stars or whatever, Right. And uh, he he just made sure he had it a lot of the time. And he, he was really good at, like, and by the way, it, it was just one of those players I could never really get, uh, I, I could never really get a feel for his game watching him. And that's really rare for me. Even back then, I would I would kind of go, oh, this is what that guy does. Oh, this is what that guy does, right? I, I never really got that feeling with Gordon. Uh, Griffin Banger is one of the best uh, from, like, the new school. Like, Johnny Baxamy is more like old-school, solid reg, like just very thoughtful, that can definitely be aggressive. Gr- Griffin Banger is definitely, I, I think, new school. I don't, I don't want to say more aggressive, but 
there's a different set of plays that are more popular with that group. Uh, Michael Ruane is kind of, uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, which is pretty bizarre because I've known him for, I literally think it's 10 years. Uh, a super nice guy. Uh, I, I, he's one of those dudes that, he, for some reason you get the idea he can do anything at any time, but he's actually really controlled. Uh, and, but just, it's like that Gordon Vale thing. It's like, you think he can do anything at any time, which means probably at some point he's done something to evoke that from you. But at the same time, he's really controlled. It's essentially like Griffin Banger and Gordon and Michael are like, if we could do this in boxing analogies, like they would be like really solid. Uh, they'd be like really solid with the fundamentals, but once in a while just let go of a flurry that you didn't really expect. Michael is probably the one that like lets go with the most like dangerous flurries. Whereas like a Johnny Bax would be like a Floyd Mayweather, right? Not, not in regards to like, well, I don't know. I haven't seen him play in five years. He could be that good as far as talent, but just like really hammers on the fundamentals. You know what I mean? And it's just so good at the fundamentals. He rarely has to go out. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to go outside of, uh, that and uh, hopefully he can afford a house that doesn't have a radial arm saw running while he's doing a podcast. But he's uh, there. There's just it, it, they're all extremely good players, and I think I, I think they're all very solid as well. I just think some of the younger guys are. You do have to have that threat. You know what I mean? There's something I talk about. I don't talk about it nearly as much, but perceived threat is a really big deal. There's a lot of times. I'm prepared to triple barrel. I never had to triple barrel bluff in the main event because I fully believe because I was prepared to triple barrel. It's like a good nuclear strategy. The fact you're prepared to use it at any time means you'll never have to use it. Or that's what we say in the good old US of A. Uh, but it, it's if you're prepared to do those bluffs, a lot of times you never have to do them. Whereas if you keep pressing a guy he's going to have to be able to do them. And to Johnny Bax's credit, I think a lot of times people just kind of age discriminate. They're like, oh, he's not going to be capable of this. And he is capable of it, right? But eventually people have learned, like, Johnny Bax is just so solid that I think, and he's going to take advantage of you, that I, I think he can rein it back a little bit. And people don't realize, uh, you know, how much he's sticking to, like, just really good Fundamentals. No, I'm. A lot of people think I must be in. Like there was this one time, Jocka said, uh, you know, I really like hanging with Alex Fitzgerald on a. He said this on a podcast because he's really into basics and fundamentals, and everybody was like, oh my god, that must have been so insulting. And I was like, well, no, because if you, like, if you watch Phil Jackson do a training camp with his up and coming players, he, the big thing he's getting pissed about is passing. He's not talking about jump shots. He's not talking about, uh, you know, like sweet pick and rolls. He's talking about passing the ball because statistically that's most of the movement going on on the court. And if you don't get that and you increase your turnovers by 20%, you can lose the game over and over again, right? And I think Johnny Bax, in my mind, is like one of the best when it comes to like really knowing why he's doing a lot of things when it comes to poker. And I think setting up a lot of these plays in a way that he, he controls the tempo. Whereas uh, Michael is a real knockout puncher a lot of the time. And, you know, and that's a good thing as well. Uh, and by the way, this is, I haven't played with these guys in years, but this is what I know from like just having grown up with all of them. And uh, this is going to be an exciting final table. I haven't watched a final table in years. I will be watching this one. This sounds awesome, dude. I, I, I said that to my friend when I found out Johnny backs it. I was like, here, that, I might watch it this year. I've not watched it in a few years. You know? Oh, this will be was, dope. It was scary looking back. I looked back at the past winners, and I thought, wow, it's like three, four years I've not watched the main event for you I, know, a couple. <laughs> like, not one bit of the coverage. The, one, the last main event I watched all the way through was Greg Ramers. Like, I'm not joking. And uh, Jamie Gold's final table, you could order it on pay-per-view. I fell asleep on the couch at my buddy's house. And when I woke up, I was like, this crap's boring. I'm out of here. 
And uh, that, that's been it. That, that's been it. And uh, I did watch Martin Jacobson's final table a little bit because I, I really liked, uh, I liked the Dutchman's game. Uh, Van der Sloot or uh, Van Slu- no, not not the serial killer in Aru- Aruba. What what was his name? Uh, uh, I, I can't remember. But uh, I, I, and I like Jacobson. Jacobson, there's a few things in his tournament game I, I've been critical of for years uh, when we played together. But uh, I, he's also I, I I find him a very balanced player, and I I'm the opposite of a balanced person. You know, just drinking coffee all the time and heavy metal and blah blah blah. So those type of people really fascinate me. And I, I, I felt I learned quite a bit watching him at that final table just about managing yourself, right? And then, uh, a- anyway, I watched the, the other reason I watched a lot of that final table is I was watching it with Spanish commentary, and Barry, it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard in my life. They clearly picked two people who didn't know anything about poker. They had, a guy, they had like a sports announcer, and then they had a woman, I'm not making this up, like from like a telenovela, right? And they, would, they were always talking about sunglasses, Right. Like, oh, he shouldn't have kept his son. He shouldn't have put his sunglasses on. Now, Martin Jacobson knows he's scared. So Martin Jacobson's going to raise him now. And it's like, what? Like, are you serious? And it's, Martin Jacobson has a pair. Uh, he has a pair of eights. That's better than the pair of fives that the young Norwegian has. Yes, the eights are better than fives. So he bets with the eights. The eights, reminding you, are better than fives. I, I'm not joking. That was the commentary, right? I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. I got to, you know, I was like calling up everybody who lives in Costa Rica. I'm like, are you watching this? Yes, Alex. It's not nearly as fascinating to me as it is to you, right? And it was like, okay, cool. Like, thank you. And then, yeah, eventually I ended up watching the live stream a bit. And then I quit watching. But, but I, I watched What's-His-Face make that huge bluff that me and Antonio Esfandiari liked and nobody else liked. But uh, what, what was his name? What's his name? The, the gunslinger. Ah, what was his name? Uh, I wrote it, Mark Newhouse. It was, uh, I watched him do that big bluff, and that was, that was definitely one of the more interesting hands I've seen in the main event in years. But uh, it uh, didn't work out for him. I think he did it a little herky-jerky and uh, maybe picked the wrong guy. But, like, yeah, it was a... That was a good time, man. WCP is a good time. You know, man, poker's great. I love poker. Poker, great. Like, uh, what, what, what's his name you used to always say? No, poker, you know what, guys? Like, I used to be really bitter the first couple of years on this show, but I'll be honest with you. I was going through a lot of crap, and it, it was like, it's kind of weird when you grow up, like, just playing cards in the back of classrooms, and then one day it's your life. A lot, a lot of people don't realize, like, I didn't pick being a poker player. I, when I moved to Seattle, it was to be a writer. I did not succeed as a writer I was using poker to pay my bills, right? And then one day, you know, and you have people come up to you, and it's like, I kill to be where you're at. And it's like, man, I never, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to study creative writing. I wanted to do a lot of these things. But over the last, like, couple of years, I've really realized, like, this is a really fun game. And I really get a lot out of it. You know, it's kind of like golf. Like, golf, when you first start playing it, you think, this is the worst game on planet Earth. This is so boring, right? But as you get to do it more and more and more, it's like, man, this is really... Like, it's a test of yourself, you know what I mean? There's nothing that tests your patience more than poker. God knows. Like, Tiger Woods never hits a perfect shot and has, like, a bird fly in and grab it and drop it in the water. And that, that happens to me nine times a day when I play poker, you know? And it's just uh, literally with the golf club, I just fire it off in the Rio. But, no, it's, um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good time. It's a, uh, it, was, it was really fun being out there. It's really ch- fun chilling with some of the like newer guys too you know what i mean because they're so hungry and all that and it's a the podcast listeners you know the guys that like come up to me they're so like in a good mood and it puts me in a good mood you know so it's a life is good man life is good and uh yeah yeah maybe we can answer one question before we get out <laughs> i was just about i was saying i'll wrap up the uh wsop uh talk for this year just by saying well done again to our listener chase bianchi who won a bracelet and showed Alex how it should be done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. So, uh, all right, we will get into questions now. Um, the first question is from Cole, and he's emailed in a few. So they're sort of, just by glancing, I'd say they're three sort of mini questions. So we'll fire through right, Cole's that's cool. That's cool. and see how you go. Uh, the first one is, I've heard you criticise 2 plus 2. 
for various faults in the members' suggestions on posted hands. I'm fairly active there, but I'm also fairly new, so my radar for quality poker conversation is not as engaged as others who are more experienced. Do you recommend other forums? Uh, I, I would recommend any forum where people... This goes with anything in life. If people have to get in, they tend to take it a little more seriously. There's a huge difference between going to a comedy show that was free to uh, uh, kids at a university as opposed to one where they charge $1 to get in. Like, literally $1. People will behave better. And uh, a lot of these forums, like cardrunners.com has a good forum. Uh, some other training sites I'm not going to mention have, a good, have good forums. But... Anytime you have to pay to get in, and if the community, if the community is well-known, I, I mean, if the community is well-known, there's a reason. It's because they're all helping each other out. Two plus two isn't bad. There's a lot of, like, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are, like, really knowledgeable there. But it also, when it's, you know, free, free to get in, it attracts an element of, you know, just guys that are kind of upset with their lives. And, like, literally, you know, you post anything there, you're just going to get, you know, lol, stupid, obviously do this. And uh, there's a lot of that. And I, I just think it's not really conducive to really good, uh, really, really productive hand history discussion. I, I join one of the training sites and, you know, just start hammering through the forums there and learning. And uh, I, I think that'd be much more productive for you and your time. Okay, and his next question is, I'd like to purchase your Master Poker with only one hour a day webinar. How can I purchase it? I'll tell you what, guys. It's supposed to be one forty nine ninety nine, uh, just because uh, I'll give you all a deal, Megan, $99.99, if you, be, if you reference this podcast, this specific one. What number is this? 97? Uh, so it's 97. Yeah, yeah. say, represent, uh, say, you know. Uh, one out or 97 and I'll, I'll get it to you. And essentially you send the money to Alex at, uh, oh, excuse me, Alex Fitzgerald, 88 at gmail.com and, uh, send it to there on PayPal. And yeah, I just, uh, I have a private server. It creates a link for you and you just download it and it's yours forever. There's no, it's not like a streaming site you buy access to for three months. No, you have the file forever, which by the way, opens me up for piracy. But to me, it's like if you buy something, you buy something. You didn't rent it. You know what I mean? And I don't want you guys to be at the mercy of Internet connections or whatever. So you just buy it, you know, and it's yours. Remember, you paid 100 bucks for it. So don't copy and paste it to your grab-ass buddies, you know. And uh, anywho, moving on. Okay, cool. So just, yeah, well, Cole will be listening. So just message Alex and say one out or 97, and you'll get that one for $99.99. So by sending in a question, you've just saved yourself $50. Yes, sir, That's you're good. Good. Yes, sir, um, Okay, and the third one is, I pre-ordered your book, which comes out in August. Uh, are your book and this webinar going to say a whole lot that's different? I understand that it is inevitable, inevitable rather, that some of the same questions will be covered, but will the core content be different enough for me to gain value from having both? Absolutely, you should get both. Uh, essentially, with my webinars... Uh, with the webinars, there's a lot of, like, visuals I can't use in the book because it would just cost $80 billion to uh, print, like, a thousand pages of all the hand histories and stuff like that, right? So there's, uh, there's a lot more, like, examples of what's going on. There's a lot more of, like, the money-making concepts, like how to make money, like, really rapidly. The book is what I've always wanted to write, which is 300 pages of just the mechanics of poker like the way nobody ever taught me how to think about poker but once I started thinking about poker in this way I started doing way better and all of my students started doing way better and it's a very logical way to think about poker it requires a minimal amount of math but you're going to see in the you're going to see in that book like it's it's more of that book it, essentially, when you watch my webinars, there's a lot of money-making ideas, and you take notes and stuff, and you're gonna br and you're gonna bring it into your game and like actively put it in your game. When you're trying to understand the totality of poker, you're gonna read my uh, you're gonna read my book, The Myth of Poker Talent. I I I predict that is gonna be a book that is gonna be on a lot of different toilets uh, going forward. I think a lot of people are gonna have that to read and reread again and dog ear it. 
And I'm not, and by the way, that's not because I'm a good writer. It's because I have all those materials myself and I dog ear it and I read it around the house. And it's, it's not my ideas. It belongs to the game. You know what I mean? This is all stuff that if you knew how to work through the thousands of training videos and uh, all the different like hand history replayers and stuff like that, this stuff would be immediately obvious. It's not of my own creation, but it took me a long time to gather all of it. And all I'm doing is trying to write it out for everybody. And that's why I really believe in the book is it, it has nothing to do with, again, it's called the myth of poker talent because it has nothing to do with my talent. It has much more to do with these are the mechanics of poker. If you master them, you will master the game and you will master yourself. Okay, and that's Cole's three questions up. Sweet. So Sweet. get in touch with Alex and get your webinar sorted out. Uh, Alex will see you all okay for that. Uh, the next question is from a regular, but we've not heard from him in a little while, I don't think. Aaron Lapoint. 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 <laughs> Lapoint. Yeah. Uh, good to hear from you again, Aaron. Um, he's got, hey, just had a question about squeezing. I'm a bit embarrassed to admit I never really gave squeezing ranges and situations much thought. I seem to be squeezing just value. Can you talk about squeezing as bluffs and ranges for doing this? Also, just as important, if not more so, can you talk about situations that beg for a squeeze? I can think of situations myself that look ideal, but I'd rather let you speak to that. If you can include some HUD-type stats to illustrate, that would be awesome. If you want to use this for one of your videos or podcasts, that would be sick. Thanks. Thanks, sir. No, I appreciate the question. Uh, squeezing, in general, I think is a pretty overrated play. Uh, it's one of those things... It's like the cold four bet. It's, uh, it's, it, it's akin to looking for a four-leaf clover. It's hard to find, and generally it's a waste of time to look for one. Uh, it, there are good squeeze spots. The squeeze spot isn't nearly that bad, but it's, it's close to it. Because I'll tell you why it used to be really valuable. In the old days, like if you read the original Harrington on Hold'em, it'll be like aggro guy one opens... Uh, passive-ish player flats, use squeeze, first guy has to worry about the second guy that's still active in the pot, he folds, second guy has to be worried that you raised into two players, and he folds. That, that was just magic. That was just money in the bank, and I used the squeeze quite a bit. Then at one point, uh, everybody started raising and calling again, and this is when I still use the squeeze, is let's say like one guy raises, another guy calls, and you guys are pretty deep and you have a hand that you think is really good versus one guy, right? And uh, let's say it's like an ace-queen offsuit. Uh, ace-queen offsuit is really good versus one person because generally if they flat you, they don't have the ace-king. Usually people four-bet with that. They usually flat you with their weaker aces, their weaker ki kings, uh, ki queens, excuse me. Uh, it, it doesn't really do that well in multi-way pots because it hits one pair and a lot of times one pair just doesn't hold up in multi-way pots. So if you think, uh, I, I feel like it was a little too drastic at the beginning describing how, uh, infrequently I use squeezes, but it's still pretty infrequent. If you feel like you can squeeze there and get one guy to call that, that's, that's magic. That's awesome. That I'll, I'll, that's big time. And a lot of times people will just call and they'll, they'll go broke on an ace high board or a queen high board. And that's awesome. The problem is these days people are pretty aggro. So what ends up happening is a lot of times you squeeze and like all three players call. I cannot tell you how many times that happens, right? So you end up hitting one pair and going broke a lot of the time. Uh, not all the time. I mean, it's still, it's okay. It's just one of those things. I think uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it, you also get a lot of jams is the problem. Like when you squeeze and there's all that money out there, there's always one jackass these days with pocket threes who's like, maybe I can pick up all this money. And they don't seem to realize if everybody has that thought, it really seems that you would be prepared for it. But they jam, you end up calling, you get this big old race that maybe you didn't want. So uh, generally the stats you're looking for, you want a really high raise first in, like 25%. You want to really, uh, if you want one guy to call you, 
it's good to look at people's fold-to-three-bet statistics. If you see a couple guys have a pretty high fold-to-three-bet statistic, like 55 60% or higher, and one guy's down there at, you know, 28 or something like that, then, you know, make your three-bet a little bigger, and I'm pretty confident people do not fold-to-three-bets is what I've learned recently. They, they just do not. And uh, anyway, if you get that one guy to call you, that's pretty good. I think, you know, with the big cards a lot of the time, I like to do the three bets um, just because they do really well in heads up pots. And I'm, I'm dumbfounded how often a seven suited opens from early position, which by the way, does not need to be open from early position if you're at a tough table. But a- anyhow, uh, you know, two people call, you know, and he made it 2.5 X, two guys call 2.5 X. I make it 11 X on the button and a seven suited calls that just blows my mind. I can't, these are the, this, this was the heyday of squeezes, right? Because one guy would call and the other two would fold. The problem is these days, the, one of those last two guys always gets the bright idea to shove his 60X stack. These, and uh, that just ruins what you were trying to do. And that doesn't, it, you know, I'm kind of being a Debbie Downer and I'm kind of making this sound worse than it was. But it, it is, uh, I think you have to be, you really have to know your opponent's. Uh, and I certainly don't do it like I used to do it with like a five, seven suited in that spot because one guy would call me and then he would check fold a lot of the time. I've really dropped that play from my game uh, or, you know, just the suit. A lot of the times the suited gappers I used to squeeze with, they work much better as a flat these days, especially if you know how to play flops, turns and rivers and whether you if you know a guy can't triple barrel or not. If you know a guy's not going to triple barrel bluff that often, uh, if you get like a baby flush and he, you know, he fires three times into four guys or, you know, at least once he did into four guys and then he fires into you and it's a paired board or something, you can let it go. But a lot of people don't have that fold button, which puts them in a big problem with the nine, seven of hearts or whatnot. So they, uh, you, but I generally think you're going to have to work that out. You're going to have to learn how to flat the suited gappers and stuff like that, or God forbid, fold them. I do a lot of folding, a ton of folding. You know, a lot of times on this show, I talk about what you would do if you do play a hand. Something that I never bring up is a lot of my money is made from folding, just mm. folding. And then, you know, you got to gamble up at some point, but you, it's a flop as well. Isn't, you know, you're speaking preflop. Mainly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Is a lot. Yeah. This is a lot of preflop. Yeah. There's great spots to, like, squeeze post-flop, too. There's, like, my favorite board to squeeze post-flop is, like, uh, this is the only time I've ever felt like I don't want to share this on air. But let's say the board's, like, seven of, seven of hearts, four of hearts, two of hearts. I check in the big blind, aggro guy, one bets, uh, button calls. And it's, like, aggro guy is betting, like, king-queen with the queen of hearts. The other guy is calling with pocket threes. If you check-raise, what does your hand range look like? It's a, it, it, of course, it looks like a set or a flush, right? Nine times out of ten, these guys are folding. They are, that's a wonderful spot to squeeze. A lot of my squeezes are post-flop. And if you ask yourself, anytime it goes bet and call at the table, you should take, you know, uh, don't, do, don't take 30 seconds like everybody at the WSOP, but take a few seconds to think about, you know, what would it look like if I check-raised here? What would people put me on? And if you find a few spots where it's like, well, it would look pretty tight, right? Well, start asking yourself, you know, don't do it at the WSP main event. Don't debut new material at Carnegie Hall. But there's, uh, you can uh, go to the lab in maybe some slightly smaller tournaments or whatever's a slightly smaller tournament for you with some serious players and try out some of those plays. And I think that's, I think that's a good time. I think that's when you start the game starts opening up for you, and uh, yeah. Okay, well that's all we got time for this week. Uh, myself and Alex were talking for a fair bit before the show as well, but looking at the time here, it's that's just around under the hour I think it is, or maybe around fifty minutes. And uh, the next question will be next week. So if you want to keep sending questions in. Message them into questions at com on email and we will put them to Alex and he will analyse, dissect or ridicule. Uh, and uh, no, he's never, I don't think you've ever ridiculed a listener, Alex, apart from, uh, I'm trying to think. 
Uh, I'm sure no, I have. I don't think so. Not, I'm sure you have. Sure, yeah. not, or maybe yeah. you've ridiculed someone we don't know that listens to the show as well. Yeah, so. pro- probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your webinars, other services you offer, and your YouTube channel, etc.? If you guys want to write me about anything, write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. Check out my YouTube channel. Barry is going to post a free webinar called Ready to Test Your Poker. It'll kind of give you the format of what's coming up with my like eight-week class, which I might even extend that, and I won't extend the price. I just I have so much material now. I don't know how, how we're going to get through it all. But, yeah, check that out if you guys. It's free, and it's a webinar. It's like one of, a lot of these webinars people pay hundreds of dollars for. This is the one I made for free. Uh, you can go ahead and check that out. And uh, it, when you click on that, uh, you can sign up for Assassin's Creed Coaching, the YouTube channel. And, you know, my vlogs go up there. I answer questions from listeners uh, and readers and viewers and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, there's also free strategy videos and stuff that goes up. It's really fun. I'm having a lot of fun with that project, so be sure to check it out. And sign up for my newsletter at PokerAdRush.com. Just type in your email address and you're good to go. Uh, hit sign up and, yeah, you have to confirm something on, in your email address to make sure I didn't just add you. Uh, for fun, but yeah, go ahead and do that, and uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys, looking forward to doing more work with y'all, it's great, it's great to talk with y'all in Vegas, I'm sorry I didn't have more time getting deep in the main event, or passing out at uh, NBA Summer League, because I felt like a rich person, rich people do their thinking, and they're passing out at, uh, at sporting events, you know, but since I'm not that wealthy i couldn't afford you know like real nba so i had to go to like kids nba summer league but yeah sorry i was just passed out all the time but it was uh and i didn't get a chance to do a meet and greet or something like that but thank you to all y'all who came up to me in the halls and said how much you guys appreciated this show it really does mean a lot i i really appreciate it uh, uh we'll see you all next time all right guys yeah cheers until next week thanks for listening hassan abib Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.